0: There's so much work to be done on the corporate side of how they entice people in, because the benefits that they can realize once they have that true multi-generational workforce are huge.
1: Welcome to The Digest, the podcast where we get real about diversity and inclusion on the ground, looking at the stories and the journeys of activists and allies in the d space globally. My name's Helen McGuire. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Diversely, and I'll be talking to all sorts of characters from around the world about what they're doing in the d space and their journey together. I'm speaking on the podcast today to Michael Riley, and uh, to quote our very first podcast guest, ageism is the one-ism we will all face if we're lucky. I love that quote and I think it sums up a lot of the conversation that I'm about to have with Michael as well in terms of what he's now doing with the Age Diversity Network, his new company that he's set up to help people who are older re-enter the workforce or even remain within it. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I I found it incredibly heartwarming and hopeful and inspirational. I hope you do too. Let's get into it. Michael hello welcome to the digest how are things where you are today?
0: Yeah, uh, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, in terms of the weather, it's a little bit sunny, but uh, it's been rain up and down. And uh, it's actually quite a nice part of the world I live in. I live in East Sussex in the UK. So it's nice to be near the beach as well. So, you know, providing I'm not blown around too much, I I often go down there, um, providing the weather's good enough. But yeah, all good down here. Thank you.
1: Jolly good. I'm very, very glad to hear it. And um, we've had a little chat, I think, probably about a month ago now, after I shared a story that we'd found via the BBC, I think, about your business and what you're up to. And we shared that on Diversity's LinkedIn page. And subsequently, you and I got in touch. And I heard a bit more about your background and story and thought this would make a perfect topic for for the podcast. But for our listeners' sake, can you just tell us a little bit about what it is you're, you're up to at the moment?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I set up uh, the Age Diversity Network for two reasons. One was out of pure frustration of being uh, what we class ourselves as an older worker and not really getting very far in terms of being taken seriously for all the skills and knowledge that I had. And the other part of it was that there are thousands of other people just like me, which... At the time, you don't realise that, of course, until you start getting into it and digging a bit deeper. So it it appeared to me quite simply that with being of a certain age, there are other obstacles that you face when trying to find work. But also, I think the onus uh, very much lies on the doorstep of employers hiring managers, recruitment companies. So I thought, well, is there something that I can do? I know I'm not the only one out there, but uh, I wanted to do my part. And it's really sort of helping those that are in a similar situation that I was in when I was looking for work, how I can support them, how I can guide them, give them advice, point them in the right direction of other organisations that are similar to mine, but maybe offer services that I don't, offer services for coaching, interviewing techniques, CV writing, interviewing on video, et cetera. But at the same time, also trying to find out, is there a way that I can get more involved in educating these employers and recruitment companies and hiring managers, etc., in terms of what they need to start thinking about? Because there's such a huge untapped resource, which we all know of over 50s out there that are desperately trying to get back into work. And it's not necessarily that they don't want to work, which is what the press often says. It's they just can't get work and aren't being given the opportunities. So that's what I do now. But it was really as a result of uh, frustration and finding that the work that I was being offered was not the work that I really wanted, given the skill sets that I have. But also, it didn't really tie in with what I actually wanted to do to use those skill sets. So that's how it all came about.
1: And just explain to us a little bit about some of those frustrations and barriers that you faced when you were looking for work. And how long did that go on for, would you say?
0: I think it. I was able to pick up bits and pieces here and there because there are certain uh, roles that you can play, which are either part-time, short-term or what have you. But um, often you want to be able to work with an organisation to see something through as well. So, so you'd find that you have to put up with and live with the, well, pick my brain as much as you can. I'll give you as much information that I can give you to... you on the path you you need to be going on Uh, but this is obviously not in the age diversity network this is with my previous skill set so it was using my knowledge and experience over the past 30 40 years that i've gained and i think half the problems that i was finding was that when i was putting my cv across i was doing all the normal things that everyone does you the standard stuff leave your age or date of birth Mm -hmm. off the cv leave out stuff that isn't relevant from a long time ago and focus on skills that you have and what you can offer And I was getting a lot of interest in terms of when the CB was hitting people's desks. But I found that once I was either being interviewed in person or on screen during the pandemic, I think it became a bit of a shock to some people, quite frankly, when they sort of visually saw what they were looking at versus what they had already built up a picture in their mind of having read the cv and sometimes it was quite obvious it was sort of like the shifting in terms of body language and and what have you and a lot of people i've spoken to suffer the same so i think it's it's one of these things that that that, uh, when you get to that point it then becomes a bit of a problem and also i found that if i did manage to get through to the later stages then often i'd sort of get to the number one and number two. Yeah. But I would never quite make the number one.
1: And how how often was this happening? Is this, as you say, you were getting interviews. How often were you getting to that later stage and and still finding that you didn't get the job?
0: Well, I think I I can split that down into two. I I think in terms of numbers, a very very high percentage a good sort of 80 percent, i would say but a mixture of those was as i've just described the visual presence of me if you like in terms of what they were expecting versus what i what i am but the other thing was i think there were other things at play in terms of did i fit the culture you got to understand a little bit more about the team on some occasions i got to meet some of the team and they were a lot younger than me and maybe it was just one of those things again. We talk about unconscious bias, but um, maybe it's just one of those things that they felt for whatever reason, I just didn't fit in with their their lifestyle, their culture, wouldn't be one of the lads or one of the Mm. team or whatever, one of the gang. And I think in terms of how they viewed me was a mixture, really, and some of the feedback I got. Uh, which is nonsense, obviously too experienced, or why would you want to work at a a level two or three times below what you've been working at? And they don't quite understand what it is that you want out of life now. You've been there, you've done it, you've climbed the ladder and you get to a point where say, actually, I just want to work. I want to use my brain. I want to give something back. Hopefully I can teach younger workers and hopefully they can learn from me, but vice versa, I can learn from them too. And these are all the points that people are missing. So I think a lot of it was down to the culture and not the right fit for whatever Mm. reason they deemed that to be.
1: And what was the impact on you of those comments and decisions? And as you say, that kind of endless rejection, I suppose?
0: Yeah, it has a lot of different impacts. Of course it does. One of the things is uh, one of bewilderment. You sit back and you think to yourself as an individual, how dare they, you know, how would they think that, you know, don't they really know what I can give them? Mm. And you start to wonder, are you not as good as you think you are. So you start to doubt yourself a little bit. I think also you you go through different emotions as well. One is you get quite angry with it. You think this is wrong. You know, morally it's wrong. It shouldn't be happening. And then you start to get frustrated. And then I wouldn't necessarily say me personally, but I know a lot of people I've spoken to, they get withdrawn, they get a bit depressed and they right. think, you know, I'm giving up. I'm not going to send out any more CVs, I'm not going to apply for jobs because I know what the answer is going to be. So they get to a point where they say enough's enough, you know, I just can't do this anymore. And their mental health takes a huge impact. And I'm dealing with a lot of people where this is real issues for them right now. And they're the people that we're trying to help and get them on on the right track. But uh, I think the impact it has on individuals is really, really dire in some cases, but it's a case of obviously trying to break that down Mm. and, and sort of put them to one side, which can be difficult, but if you can get past that and do something about it, some people will continue to look for roles, continue to craft their CV for a particular role, take the time to do that, send different covering letters, others will go off in a different direction, retrain, do a completely different role in life that they didn't think they were going to be doing, or they'd be setting up their own business. And some I know, including me, have, have gone out and said, I want to change things and do something about it.
1: Why do you think you took that path? And looking back, I suppose, at your your career history and, and maybe also even before that, you know, before you entered the, the world of work, is there anything that sets you apart particularly that perhaps, you know, you might think this person would be the most obvious of this cohort, let's say, to step up and do something about this and do something different? Have you thought about that?
0: Yeah, I have. For me, growing up as a kid, I didn't really think, to be honest with you, what I wanted to do for a job. My first job, I, I turned up in Sussex with a carrier bag, all on my own, deciding I was going to make my own way in the world. I think I had, a, I had in those days, it was probably a reasonable amount of money, but I had three quid and uh, a bag of clothes in a carrier bag. I thought, well, okay, what I'm going to do with life? And I ended up working in in what those days were called a, a unisex boutique. Um, right. so it's the ones where you can sort of buy jeans and t-shirts and they can fit either men or women and decided, okay, fine. So I had a great time there and I thought, well, I wanted to do something different in life. So I moved into a role in a warehouse, working in a factory, managed to then move into an office job within the same company and decided actually there's more to life that I can do and I want to achieve. But even then I found that in those days, it was the old sort of job for life attitude, yeah. if you like. So if someone was in a role in a factory environment or an industrial type role or other industries even, it would be that once you're there, maybe you're going to be there until you retire. And I didn't want that. I wanted to change. But I did see some sort of failing attitudes because obviously things have changed, as we know, over the decades. But I think, I suppose when I got to the point of working in what I would call a proper job, and actually managed to settle down and and decide what I wanted to do, which was moving to technology. I decided at that point, okay, this is the path for Mm. me. And I can only say that as an individual, I've always honoured what other people's thoughts are. I've always taken into account their considerations. I won't go into too much detail, but my childhood Maybe that way mm. is uh, in the fact that I need to take other people into account. Everyone has feelings. You don't know what's going on behind closed doors, etc. And I had these values and morals that I grew up with, and I decided that I would carry those through. So even from family life, you know, I had four kids. I, I did the very, very best that I could for them to give them a head start. <laughs> what they do with that is down to them. But it made me understand that actually being a family man now, being responsible for that too also led me to understand the difference in attitudes with different age levels, having the four kids, I guess. And there's a gap of, I think, about... 16 years between the eldest and the youngest wow. so I, I sort of grew up with these these children around me and, and I'd be dealing with different attitudes and they can get a bit feisty some of them and they've got very positive attitudes and they'd often turn around and say dad you can't say that and I would think actually you're right I can't but it's not what I'm thinking I just need to be careful of, of how I'm, I'm how you saying put it across things. yeah absolutely so I think you know having made my way into the corporate world I had lots of different people that were working for me so we graduates People that were coming across that were even then in their 40s and 50s, and I was only in my 30s. And I took it upon myself to say, Actually, there's no difference for me. Can they add value to the workplace? What am I doing for them? And what can they do for me? So it's a two way street. And I think I've carried those all the way through. So I, I think, given where I am now, what it gives me, I suppose, is that I do respect all ages, ages and Of course, we know it can affect younger people just as well as older people. But I specifically work with the the older generation. But it's more about the understanding that we're all human beings at the end of the day. We all have certain needs. We all need to understand how we can get along, how we can work together, how we can teach each other, how we can learn from each other. And that, for me, has sort of carried all the way through. Plus, I think having suffered the ageism side of things in terms of looking for work, that's where I find it a little bit difficult to deal with. I'm getting better at it, but I think I I sit back and think, well, I was never like that. So why are you being like Mm. that? And, And that was difficult for me to accept. So I think, you know, given I've been on both sides of the fence, I suppose I can see both sides. And that's what gives me a good insight to a degree to work on that basis.
1: I mean, there's a few fascinating things that you said there, I think. One of them being the job for life aspect, the fact that back in the day, people did stay in their roles for 40, 50 years maybe, and probably saw younger generations, or of course saw younger generations coming through, as well as those younger generations having older generations all in the same space, you know, all in the same workplace. So you would have more of an appreciation and you would have more of that intergenerational understanding, or at least exposure, which we just don't get now in the same way. And then as you say, having your kids, you know, 16 years apart is, is a huge gap. I mean, you're kind of, you've got one in nappies while the other one's leaving school, essentially. That must have been quite a difficult process to go through in many ways. But as you say, you're then exposed to teenage and generational attitudes that are below your own for a really long period of time at the same time as personally managing people who are 10, 20 years older than yourself. So you're getting this kind of 360 approach to life, I suppose, that many people just don't these days.
0: No, no, they don't. And I think uh, on all of the type of talks, presentations, courses, educational pieces that I, I carry out, It is about trying to humanise it. I've seen a few posts on different social medias about bringing the human back to human resources, as Mm. an example, as a term. And I think, for me, it does bode well in the sense of we, as a society, I think, are very based on what it is that we can get out of society as a business, as people. And, you know, things have started to shift of course um attitudes are changing there are huge changes in society when you when you think about things like social media and i think certainly the attitudes of different age generations are different but so what mm. you know it's one of those things that again getting back to my kids it's, it's been quite good for me and a bit of an eye-opener because i see the difference in attitudes with them in their ages and how they are and i realize that i have to respect each of those for their own views and as they get older maybe their views will change who knows but quite frankly the getting back to the job for life bit yes i think working with older and younger people so you had multi-generations working together 30, 40, 50 years ago, mm. that's gone. So I think everyone then had the opportunity. They they knew each other well. They respected what each other did. But now, because of the, the rapid race for profit and the culture set for certain industries, I guess, It becomes a little bit more difficult because it is really based on how do you fit what we're looking for you know what does that do to our brand what does it do to the rest of the staff what does it do to our customers that might think we're uh, to quote which they shouldn't be a young dynamic uh, Mm. forward-thinking company when you sort of get to that type of point there are certain niches in industry that continue with that type of approach And what's really surprising is some of the people that I'm talking to on an individual basis who are even in those industries are saying, I'm in my 40s now and I started off in this about 10, 15 years ago and it was great, but actually I'm beginning to see it now. I'm beginning to feel it. And they're still in that industry and it's a really weird situation to be in because i think when you get older that's when you get to understand it a little bit more so the education and working together across multi-generations is so important because if you're not thinking about what am i going to be like when i'm older which i didn't to be fair yeah i didn't have a clue i think if we can actually change that we don't have to be radical about it we just need to make sure that those things are thought about and it's it's part of everyday life it's not a quest It shouldn't be a campaign. It should just be part of the conversation and the narrative needs to change to include her. And if that can happen, then I think attitudes over time will happen. It's not something that we think everything must change within the next five or 10 years. It's just acceptance, I think, is the thing that we're looking for.
1: And I think these days, obviously, people are living much later. I mean, you have a, a U.S. president who's who's in his 80s, for example. You know, you have so much more scope to stay within the workforce. To give a, a very personal example, my dad ran his own businesses for years and um, has now kind of retrained as a teacher. So he teaches the trades to you know, teenagers essentially in our home yeah. city of Coventry and he's 70, oh goodness me, testing me now, 72, 73 <laughs> next month. So there is a space and there is a future, but how do you ensure as an older person that you can grab those opportunities as well as you can? How can you prepare yourself for that? I think that's
0: a that's a difficult one to answer really, because again, it comes down to sort of individuality it's based on an individual's needs for what lifestyle they want to Mm. live and affordability of course and i think if you reach a certain age and i can't dictate what age that should be again everyone is different but you reach a certain age and you'll have one of two thoughts one may well be that um I've had enough, I just want to stop, you know, I want to enjoy life now, who knows what's going to happen around the corner. I've given a good 30, 40 years of my life. And now, now's the time to wind down. And there's others that could well be in a position where they say, I can't afford to give up work, yeah. I have to keep working. So when we talk about the pension ages going upwards, let's face it, we know that If the longevity of our lives keeps going on an upward curve, then where does that leave us in terms of our lifestyle and our pensions? So it plays a big part in that too. And I think in terms of preparing for that, it can be very difficult for a lot of individuals because I think what they need to do is they need to sit back and say, okay, if you're in your forties, you know, if you can do it, I've got 20 plus years before I'm going to be retiring? What sort of state am I in now? Am I in a a good position in those next 20 plus years to say, I can give it all up? Do I need to change what I'm spending money on? We all love to go on big holidays, spend on big presents and have the nice shiny cars, et cetera. But sometimes do I need to think about, I don't really need to replace that car for another year. So I'm going to put an extra couple of grand away in my pension or, or whatever. So I think in terms of it's working at, that's the financial side, but the other side of course is, am I likely to, to survive in the industry that I'm in, mm. doing the job I do, whether it's with this company or another company? And at that point, thinking about retraining, there's a lot of people who don't think of it at that age, and, and why would you, to be fair? But if you're like-minded enough to do that, then then basically, if you can do that before you get to the point where you're not working and trying to get back into work, or, or even in work and struggling, to keep and maintain that role that you've got then you need to start thinking about it sooner i wish i had i didn't to be honest with you i'd planned for the future but but maybe not as detailed enough as i should have done yeah and i think you know if people could start thinking about how to do that and again as a parent as a dad i often say to my kids you know these are things that i should have done you need to start doing thinking this sometimes it. I yeah. a bit. F- They get fed up with me reminding them, yes, I know, Dad, but it's sort of, look, look, I know, I know, trust me, you know, I know what I'm talking about. If I'd have sort of been your age and knew what I know now, I'd have been doing these things, so please make sure that you do (laughs) So it's all about planning.
1: It's very hard, isn't it, to have a kind of constantly be thinking about the future when you're so caught up in things, particularly in in, in midlife, let's say, uh, when generally there's a lot of pressures upwards and downwards. And just to dig in a little bit to the finances and and the economics of things, having older people in the workforce for longer from an economic perspective and purely selfishly, really, from a younger person's perspective is surely, you know, only benefits everybody. Because if you're managing to earn money as an older person, you're less of a burden on the state, less of a burden on your family, less of a burden on, you know, many other aspects of economics and financial inputs. So having that perspective surely is good for everybody.
0: Absolutely agree. You're right. I think if we reach pensionable age uh, and we're comfortably well off, some will be in a very fortunate position of being well off enough with the state pension mm. and also their private pensions of actually still paying income tax, which helps to put money back into the pot for the government to fund those that aren't paying the income tax that, that are just on maybe it's the wrong term, but let's call it the breadline um, that they they rely on that pension. They don't have any other income and they have to budget accordingly to that. So I think the longer we live, yes, more money is going into the pot if we're working and paying our income tax. That helps um, the economy to a degree. But at the same time, again, it's that balance of life, isn't it? We talk about there's, there's lots of discussions that go on around older workers in terms of They get to a point and say, I probably had enough now and and want to give things up. And we've got Jeremy Hunt saying, we want these retirees to come back into the workplace. And yes, that's true to a degree, but there's also a lot of the over 50s, as I said earlier, that are desperate to get back into work that aren't being given those opportunities. Um, So they're the ones that we, we seem to forget about. It's not the ones that either don't want to come back or can afford not to come back. It's the ones that want to come back. That aren't being given the chance to come back. They're the key to making this all happen correctly.
1: And, you know, I I definitely don't want to sound like I'm putting all the onus on those individuals. I completely get it from a, you know, biased point of view. Unfortunately, there is. Unconscious or active bias against many underrepresented groups in in the workforce. And this is one of them. And I think the very first podcast interview that we did actually was with a lady called Jane Evans, who runs a business called the Uninvisibility Project, which is hard to say. And she was in the advertising industry and sings exactly the song that you're singing, trying to get women back into the advertising industry specifically, many of whom tend to leave in their 40s or, or when they've had kids for various reasons. And there is a lot that Older people can bring to the workforce, but how can a business encourage more older applicants, I suppose? And and what can they do to keep them? So obviously this, this interview process that that you went through is completely not ideal. And if you can actively see somebody's response when you pop up on a video and and, and it's negative, that's not even if you do get offered the job, it's not really going to encourage you to take it.
0: No, exactly. And I think, you know, herein lies part of the the problem, a big part of the problem. I do, unfortunately, spout off occasionally about the responsibilities of organisations. And again, this is the only term I can use, hiring managers and recruitment companies, in terms of what it is they need to do to attract older workers to apply in the first place. Part of the issue is that you'll have companies that um, will focus, and I've recently written about this, will focus on what we call the simple data. So everyone operates on their data. You do it as a business, it dictates. You profit and loss. So it's quite important, but also at the same time, if you're looking at um, diversity and inclusion as an example, the data there that they're matching or marking against may well simply be based on statistics. Now, statistics will drive how many older workers you might be interviewing, how many you've hired, how many do you actually employ right now, how many have left the workplace, along with all of the other diverse issues that we talk about. And it's all well and good running those data points against what you might deem to be targets, but it's the detail behind those data points that count. So if you're not attracting older workers, why? Is it because you as an organization don't seem to be, dare I say, age-friendly? Is it because of the the image of the organization doesn't look like Mm. it welcomes older workers? Is it because when you put your job description out there, there's nothing in there that uh, attracts older workers? So what is it that, that is stopping them coming to you? And part of the hiring process, what are you actually doing when you're taking into account who you need to be bringing in? Do you instantly think, in your mind you've got someone within their 30s to 40s is going to fit this role profile you have to dispel all of that so there's so much work to be done on the corporate side of how they entice people in because the benefits that they can realize once they have that true multi-generational workforce are huge it's any happy workforce is good and i've worked with many younger people in in my career that have in a way probably the wrong term for me to use but in a way and looked to me like a fatherly figure in a way um which really is someone who has been there someone who's done it someone i can go and ask a question without feeling daft i don't want to ask uh joe next to me because you know he's thinking i'm an idiot so i'll go and have a chat with with michael and that works really well and often where i've had some technology advances i think god i don't understand this i'd go to them and say <laughs> can you show this app i've downloaded on my phone i don't I don't know how to use it. Can you give me an idea and show me? So I think, you know, it's the camaraderie as well between the older and the younger workforce. It works a lot better than organisations think. And again, it's if you've got a happy workforce, you know, you're going to get so much more out of them, but don't do it just because you feel... We are age friendly. We're going to tick a box and look at us. Hey, we're great. Uh, As an organization, we welcome these people. It needs to be done for the right reason. And I often read things about you need to make the workplace more acceptable for older workers, maybe time off for uh, or understanding caring responsibilities for older parents maybe a few health issues they're all good but again if you're not careful it's just a tick boxing exercise um, it needs to be again I can't stress enough for me it's about being part of the organization it's feeling welcome it's not just about all the niceties that they can do for you to assist you it's about being happy to go into work nobody wants to wake up in the morning thinking think, oh, God, I really can't stand it. really don't want to go in today. Yeah. We all do that at all ages, I guess. But um, you know, certainly uh, it, that never goes away. So I think it really is about the environment. And I can't stress that enough. And some companies that we're dealing with are beginning to get it and they understand it. But there's an awful lot that don't still, I'm afraid.
1: I love that kind of very visceral example that you gave of somebody talking to you because of the fear of sort of peer pressure or, or judgment from you know from their fellow colleagues around some advice and and then you equally being able to go to them to ask for advice about you know whether it's tech things or whatever it might be, that's just so accurate and and I I've, I've seen this actually in action with with my husband actually who has a number of mentors who are probably 10, 20 years older than him, who've been through similar businesses to the one that he's building. And he gets so much out of those relationships. And I think if you had that in your office or in your workspace, imagine the impact on the confidence, on the performance, on the skills of those workers and and those employees.
0: And that's absolutely true. I think, again, it's, it's the understanding. I think once someone has been In an environment where they've seen it work, that really does make a huge difference for them. And I think they then get to see something that they've not seen before or understood before. But where the problem is, is if you've not actually worked in that environment and had those different generations working together then often you may well find that they're not quite there yet. They're the ones that don't quite get it. And they're the ones that we want to work with to say, look, we're not going to bully you into something. We're not going to make you change. What we're going to do is make your attitudes change because you understand more about what it is you're dealing with and the people that you should be encouraging and how that workforce should be working together. But you're absolutely right where you said, you know, about the the, the older worker asking the younger worker and vice versa. It is about learning. I think someone responded to, a post I put on LinkedIn today or yesterday saying something, I can't remember the exact term they they use, but it's something like every day is a school day, and that's very true. Mm. It is. We're all learning still. You know, I don't profess to know every single thing, and I, I often, if I don't understand something, I will ask for it. What, uh, two of my daughters, uh, the other day, I tried to fiddle around because I don't really use Instagram and Twitter, and they said you need to start using that for Age diversity <laughs> network. So I did something, and they both came back within about ten minutes of me posting. So I say, you can't do that, Dad, it doesn't work. So what I posted didn't work <laughs> and, yeah, again. Right? Okay, I said I'm not going to do anything on Instagram now until you sit down with me and you show me how the thing works properly because I'm not an Instagrammer, you know. I use LinkedIn, I use the media and other stuff, but that's because I know it. And again, yeah, I'm not afraid to admit the stuff that I don't know. And that's where the younger generation can really help me understand. And hopefully in return, I can help them understand. And what I can do is I can help them understand situations they've not been in before Mm. or dealt with before, feel uncomfortable with. Because I can say, the chances are, I've probably been there myself a number of times. And these are your options. And actually, my advice would be, if you did this, don't go in steaming horns first you know think about it and because they, they can be a bit alive wires at, at times but uh, it's about stepping back being a bit calmer even though you may be furious mm. just do it in a certain way because you know you've got to often play to other people's egos as well so it's about approaches and I think that's what older people workers can give. And it's also about the need for organisations and younger people to say, I've got to deliver something as quickly as possible because I need to be seen as someone who's progressing and is good to have around. Whereas first past the post isn't always the best, unless you're a jockey, of course. But um, in business, we've got the old saying, which I've always used, you know, get it right first time. But it doesn't mean it's still right. It can still be a little bit wrong, but I'd rather have it a lot more right then a lot more wrong yeah. if that makes sense yeah. and that's the sort of stuff that that I tend to sort of do with with a younger workforce and these are the sort of things that we we tend to teach really and again it's down to the incumbent you know we can only do what we can do and if they want to actually take it away and say actually that will make a difference to me and my organization by operating in that way then fantastic but if they choose not to then ultimately it's, it's going to be their loss unfortunately because they will see that um, it won't work well within the organization it's not a case of just attending training for the sake of it there's a reason behind it
1: i think a couple of things you said there are, are fantastic actually the the experience the life experience that the being there seen it done it kind of approach not in a lecturing fashion but just in a look this is going to be okay and here are some of your options and just talking through things calmly, when you're in an environment of just kind of 20 and 30 year olds, you just don't get that, right? I mean, you just don't. And you can't always go to your boss who might be a bit older to get that kind of level of experience and, and understanding. And then I think also the other really important point is to expect any employee to want to learn, to have that kind of mindset of always wanting to improve their skill sets or or adapt their skill sets for the current situation, environment, task, whatever it may be. And older people are not exempt from that. You know, that is something that, as you rightly say, you're very willing to learn. And I'm sure lots of other over 50s are very willing to put themselves in that situation as well
0: well absolutely i think the learning process it really never stops and again it, it all gets back to the point where we can all learn from each other we can all teach each other and we can all learn from each other and just because you've you've had 30 40 years work experience doesn't mean that you necessarily want to stop learning we've yeah. all got inquisitive minds you know we all want to understand how things operate you know what's the best way of doing something why and how and i suppose For me specifically, having come from a technology background, I have a very analytical mind and I'm one of these people that I really want to understand how something works. And is it working well for the reasons it was actually put together in the first place, or could it be better? I don't like to change things for the sake of changing things, but I often like to look at things and I'll make a a reasonable judgment saying, yeah, I think that's okay, it could do with tweaking, but we don't need to bother about that, or that actually could be so much better. And again, I think the other thing is that people on the younger side, dare I say, often feel because they're still climbing that career ladder, they are fearful sometimes of admitting that there's something they don't quite know. They're fearful of going to someone else for advice because they are in the driving seat. And if they do that, they'll often think, mm, I'm showing behaviours here that, that might be seen as some form of failure of me doing my job the way I should be doing or how I'm expected to do my job. And if people can get past that, uh, I, you know, we all preach so much, uh, never, never be fearful of asking for help or advice ever. It's such the right thing to do. And if people would just open up, I really love people coming to me and say, I don't quite understand this. I say, fine, no problem. I spend a lot of time on phone calls and Zoom calls with people just giving free advice because they want to understand something because I like doing it. I can only do so much of it, but I I do really like doing it. And uh, again, getting back to my kids once more, I'm sitting down with one of them next week just to go through some of my, my branding because I'm colorblind. I'm absolutely useless when it comes to mixing. I'll put something together and say, hey, look, what do you think of this? And they go, oh,
1: they send me the the
0: sick emoji. I say, okay, fine. Yeah, you're going to have to help me with this then. And and I've got another one who works in marketing. They help me with the wording. And again, this isn't my expertise. So why would I pretend that I know it all just because I'm running an organization? I don't know it all. That's why you employ people, isn't it? they're the experts. That's why you hire them in the first place.
1: Exactly. And and, and the more kind of perspective you can get within a workforce, the more diversity, not just from an age point of view, but from many different perspectives really brings that understanding and brings that level of of skills and experience. So to your point, Michael, you know, you are a person that looks for things that might be broken and, and ways to fix them, which is precisely what you're trying to do right now. How are things going, I suppose, just to end on?
0: <laughs> uh going quite well. It's really strange because I think I've had more interest in my backstory and people have come to me because of my backstory. I think you said at the beginning you saw it on, on the BBC mm. website. Um, and as a result of that, I think people have come to me more and more to sort of either ask for advice because they see themselves in a situation that I was in when I was trying to find work. And strangely enough, that one article and a few radio bits and pieces afterwards, it actually generated nearly 600 individuals contacting me because they could just relate to it. And again, that 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 to me, it's about being honest and open. So I was quite comfortable with that. You know, yeah. some people say, oh, no, 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 I, I need to hide. I can't really possibly do that. And I think you've got that side. So there's a lot of people that sort of... Um, I've been grateful for some of the advice that I've been able to give them. I've steered them in the direction of other people, as I said earlier, that are in a similar space that can help them in areas that I can't. For me, it's it's all about we all need to work together somehow to try and crack this nut. And on the organisational side, the companies, again, there's a lot of people who read that story and fortunately sat back and understood the relevance of it and how they should be looking at it from a company point of view so it was quite interesting i think we've managed to sort of open a little bit of a gap in the door i like to say that you know the door isn't flung open mm. you know, at the moment we've got our toes with that door and it's not shutting on us and uh there's quite a few companies now that have shown quite a, an interest in focusing on the age perspective and the older workers. So it's quite busy right now, actually, in terms of dealing with organisations in helping them understand this and, and going in with them to educate their employees on this subject and how they can work better to benefit the organisation as well. Let's not forget it. You know, people aren't going to do something for nothing. I'd love to say that someone's going to throw thousands of pounds at a problem just because morally it's right. Yeah. Morally it is right, but uh, at the same time, they've got to understand what benefits they can get from it. So we're quite busy in that respect. At the moment, so it's going quite well. Thank you.
1: I, I think, yeah, I think quite busy is probably an understatement. I mean, it's certainly taken <laughs> us probably a couple of months just to get this scheduled. So I, I, I know yeah. that you are very much an in-demand person right now, Michael, and, and probably so is your your business, as you say, which is just incredible to hear. And and you know, would you have thought three years ago when you were basically having doors slammed in your face by businesses, that you would be in this position now going back into businesses to help them resolve the problems that that you were facing?
0: No, not at all. As I say, three years ago, I I set up the Age Diversity Network about three and a half years ago, and, and I originally set it up Number one, to preserve the name. I didn't want anyone else pinching it because I quite liked it. And the second thing was, I thought I need to do something about it, but I didn't do anything about Mm -hmm. it initially because I still had a few bits and pieces coming in and I tinkered with it and thought, oh, what can I do? So the, the general thing, the website got built and then I spoke to a few people, didn't do much, did a few posts on LinkedIn, didn't do much. And it was only sort of the last probably six months or so that I've really, really focused on it. And you're absolutely right. I had no idea that I would be doing what I'm doing now. I, I have to say, I'm so pleased I am doing what I'm doing now. I just wish I had thought about this earlier and tried to Change things earlier. But uh, it's it's come as a surprise to me, definitely. But the great thing for me is that what I do, not just because of the ageism I suffered, and what I'm trying to do to help others and educate organisations, if I look at my previous roles in my career, what's really fantastic for me personally, is that when I look at operating models of business how they should operate what their processes are how people should respond to those etc i can draw all of that knowledge into what i'm doing now and marry the two together so for me it's, it's a win-win in terms of what i'm doing so i'm really really pleased that 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 can come together and it's a, a marriage made in heaven for me personally <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean it, it it's brilliant and it's it's super inspirational I, I think not just from the perspective of what you're doing for other people and for businesses and just for the dni industry in, in general but also, as you know, a person in my forties looking at somebody who's just started a business—first It's the first time you've done this, right? I mean, it's super inspirational, not just for me, but I'm sure for so many other people out there, whatever age they might be, to think that this is always a possibility if you're passionate enough about something and and you want to solve a problem.
0: Well, yeah, it, it is, and I think the wins for me come from organizations that do change things. They do yeah. listen to us. They allow us to come in and talk to their employer employees. But also, there are a few wins that I'm now seeing that individuals that are coming to me, we don't run a job board, for instance. So we point them in other directions and things like that. But what we do is we sort of give them the advice and point them where they need to go to. And what's been really, really great for me is I'm now starting to see the positive stories coming back from some of those where the advice and where we've sent them, they're actually in work now. And, you know, I had one about two months ago. 68 years old desperate to work they've now got a job and it's when you hear stories like that that it makes it worthwhile it's quite an achievement for me personally I, i like to pat myself on the back because not because i'm doing a great job or anything like that but i've managed to help someone and you know without them having contacted me who knows i'm not saying that i'm the messiah and got them that job but If I hadn't been there, maybe they would still be looking, who knows, but at least I've managed to turn things around for them and give them at least some hope and advice and point them to the people that can really help in certain areas and organisations that I'm now beginning to also know well and the sort of people they look at. Again, I don't run a recruitment agency, but I'm more than happy to say to these people, look, here's an email and I'll introduce them across email to an organisation and just let them get on with it. And if if they succeed, then brilliant i'm really pleased for them
1: i think you should be super proud of yourself and your efforts and just stepping up to make a difference in this space when as you say you know lots of other people can't or don't want to or whatever it might be uh, older ages in their in their lives michael for those out there from either companies whether it's businesses whether it's individuals who may be in this position or who know somebody who is where can they reach you how can they find out more
0: Okay, how you can find out more is um, certainly you can find me on LinkedIn and you can find the Age Diversity Network on LinkedIn. We have a website, www.agediversitynetwork, all one word.com. And that's probably about it. I would give you the Twitter and the Instagram handles, but don't even go there <laughs> um, because until I work out how to use those properly, no, the, the best way is either through the website, we do have a contact form so they can contact us through the website, or direct message me on LinkedIn through the Age Diversity Network or through my own profile, Michael O'Reilly, you'll, you'll find me hopefully on there.
1: Love it. Thank you, Michael. Really appreciate the time. Wishing you the best of luck for everything you have planned. And um, I'm sure we will catch up soon.
0: Yes. Well, thank you. And it's, it's been great to uh, talk to you about this. So fantastic. Thanks a lot.
1: Thank you, Michael. All of that information that he shared is in the show notes, of course. What an inspiring chap to be tackling this for so many others out there and making such a huge difference in this space where. There isn't always a huge understanding and probably fewer players than there should be. So huge luck to him. And um, I I really enjoyed that that chat. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you would like to share your story, if you are an activist, an ally, a game changer, within the DNI space we would love to hear from you you can get me on LinkedIn Helen Maguire, and get in touch there or indeed head over to Diversely which is the business that we set up to improve diversity across all industries globally and there's a ton of resources there if you head to the blog to help you to do the same thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time see ya